there is quite a separation between heaven and earth. Uh, we know that it is the sky, but there also seems to be some type of thick supernatural tarp that separates heaven from earth. And sometimes I wonder, what would it be if we could in some way reach there at the corner and tug at the thing? If we could in some way take the tarp there as it meets the corner and tug at it? What if we could reach above it? What if we could in some way peel back the sky and tear away the tarp? What would that be if God's will that so permeates heaven, if it could in some way fall down on us, if it could in some way fall down to so great an extent, you and I could take buckets or tubs and we could hop around earth collecting that liquid so as to drink it, if we could bathe in it or if we could pour it on top of each other, what would it be like if we could in some way reach up there at the corner of that tarp, at the corner of that thing and tug at it? What if we could in some way peel back the sky and tear away the tarp to so great an extent that the will of God that is never challenged in heaven, if it could come down on earth in the same way and never be challenged here, if by some supernatural thing, some phenomenon unknown to us now, if we could in some way reach up, peel back the sky, and tear away the tarp. I am B. Chris Simpson, and I'm thankful to be here with you guys today. I have never been to Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Minnesota, right. Yeah. So, friends of mine, close friends of mine back home uh, at Holmes Road Church of Christ in Memphis, Tennessee, where Glenn Holly was preacher. Um, and he's now up in Nebraska. His daughter, Malora, and his son-in-law, they're here. Uh, Jared, his son, he called me. He said, you are to pack a coat. <laughs> I said, yes. And he knows that I have an underactive thyroid, which keeps me cold. I have a condition. <laughs> and so he said, you ought to pack a coat uh, because it's snowing. And, 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 and I said, what? <laughs> he says, yes, it's been snowing. I said, okay. He then says that I should bring gloves and earmuffs. And of course, I live in Memphis. I own gloves and earmuffs, but I haven't used them since 2016. So I couldn't, I couldn't get it. Whenever I landed, um, I looked out the window of the plane, expecting to see some snowfall. And I looked and I saw, and I said, oh my goodness, it's a blizzard. <laughs> And I said to myself, I don't want to die like this. <laughs> I said, this is not what I was expecting. I just had this mental picture of Jack Nicholson there at the closing scene of The Shining. <laughs> They're dead in the snow. And I, and I don't want to die like this so far away from my family. Uh, because, you know, I grew up my whole life in Dallas, Texas, and now I live in Memphis, so it's not that cold. Um, I mean, I grew up in Dallas where if the superintendent of the schools happened to be there on his front porch sipping iced tea and one of his cubes fell down and hit the porch, he would cancel school. <laughs> Why? 
Well, because ice was on the ground. <laughs> it reminds me of my St. Louis days. Whenever I lived in St. Louis, it snowed. And I had just moved in. I was like, I know if it snows this much and it's actually white on the ground, they're going to cancel everything. And I woke up to go outside only to find that uh, it had snowed everywhere but the roads and the sidewalks. And so this is my first time in Minnesota, but there really is no better place to be right now than right here with you. Because I'm encouraged and warmed to my toes to see and to interact with Christians all over the world in places that I've never been to hear your spirit come across in song and to meet you and to touch you and to know you. So I'm so thankful that Jordan brought me here and that I braved the blizzard to be here with you today. <laughs> As you know, we're talking about discipleship. This is the Twin Cities Discipleship Conference and we are the Twin Cities. For the next three days, I will be a resident of the Twin Cities. And so we're talking about discipleship, and we're going to start off here in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. The Bible says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We know that Jesus Christ is going to leave earth with by first giving them this great commission to go out and to make disciples. He says, I want you to go out and teach the people. He says, and then I want you to baptize them, and then I want you to make disciples. What he wanted was disciples. In ministry, we know that everybody you teach ain't going to get baptized. Everybody you baptize ain't going to observe everything in order to become a disciple, but that's what we want to be. We want to be his disciples. And so today, as we study in this conference what it's like to be his disciple, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, because if we want to be a disciple, the key will be the Holy Spirit of God. If we want to be his disciple, if we want to live like he lived, the only way we as humans can do it is to have and to live in the space where the Holy Spirit is actually living in us. And so we'll talk about just three key concepts today in an effort to help us become stronger disciples for Christ. We live in a very individual world, a world that is very individualistic to so great an extent that we make decisions for ourselves based on what we think. And this is not uh, seen more clearly than when someone goes off to college. I had never been to Arkansas before when I was 18. I went to Harlan University, having grown up in Churches of Christ, heard about it my senior year, um, and now, that may sound strange, but see, I grew up in black churches of Christ. So I never heard of Harding. And I had never even been to Arkansas. But I decided that I would uh, strike out. I was wanting something different in my life. And so then I go to Harding University, ablaze for the ministry. My mother, she was this, uh, she is this very proper woman, very proper. Her clothing is proper. Her speech is proper. She's just this and that, you know. And so she, she taught us to speak in a certain way and all of this, and I considered myself to be pretty good at English because when I was in elementary school, I made perfect 
uh, scores on the standardized testing. And so I wanted to do something in English, but then I also felt this call that God was uh, bringing me into the ministry. So when I get to Harding University, they have this program called the China Now program. And the China Now program is a program where you move to China and on a two-year basis, you teach Chinese students at a university how to speak English by using the Bible. And so I knew I wanted to do this. I knew that I had made it up in my mind. I was a college student away from home for the first time, and I was like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I felt a call from God. I felt the Holy Spirit knocking on my door and saying, you there inside, come out into the world that is China. I said, I'm going to move to China, me, tall, black, from Oak Cliff, and y'all don't know what that means. I'm from the hood, okay? <laughs> and I'm thinking, no, I want to teach English. I love English. I've made perfect scores on the standardized tests growing up, and I want to do the ministry. It's a perfect fit. I can teach English in China because I'm an English buff. I can teach it through the Bible because I love the Bible, and I'm going to do it in China because I love egg rolls. <laughs> this was my 18-year-old mind. I knew that the Holy Spirit was leading me to this. I knew that the Holy Spirit told me this as audibly as we were singing here these songs. I told my father my freshman year, Daddy, I'm going to China. <laughs> and he said, well, who's there? <laughs> and I said, who need the gospel. And he said, well, there are so many people here who need the gospel as well. And I was like, nope. I'm going to China. And he said, son, why do you want to go to China? And he kind of asked it like, it's nothing wrong with going to China. I just don't know why you <laughs> want to go to China. I said, well, because the Holy Spirit told me to. I said, I saw in chapel, it was a chapel at Harding, and they advertised a China Now program. You can teach English using the Bible. People are getting baptized. It's at the university setting. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. That's me. I'm going to do that. English, Bible, study, baptizing, let's go. He said, son, I, I just don't think that's a good idea. And in my 18-year-old mind, I'm thinking, I know you don't. I said, but I must suffer for the cross. <laughs> I said, for this is what Jesus meant for suffering for the cross. I'm thinking in my, in my mind, I'm thinking this is going to be so powerful. Whenever the Lifetime movie of my life comes out, <laughs> this is going to be a huge scene where Lawrence Fishberg plays my dad and Kanye West plays me. <laughs> and he's saying, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to go and do ministry. And he's going to say no. And then I'm going to do it. I'm going to baptize half of China. <laughs> he kept saying, son, this is a bad idea. The only thing I remember my mother doing is nodding with my father. Like, you already know this is a terrible idea. You know, you just left home for the first time. You've only been away for six months. I don't understand why you want to go to China. It really got under my skin. 
some time had passed, and then I went into the office of one of my Bible professors, a man by the name of Ken Neller, full of the Holy Spirit. He's since passed on, tragically so. I went in to see Dr. Neller. He was my Greek professor. How can the Holy Spirit envelop a man to so great an extent that you will study the Greek language, which is a terrible thing to study? <laughs> but he makes it good. He'll just be in the language, and then all of a sudden, just go on some side note of how this Greek term illuminates the scripture in this or that way. And by the end, we're all crying and shouting for joy and extending an invitation under just as I am. <laughs> I walk into Ken Neller's office and I say, Dr. Neller, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> I'm feeling called by the Holy Spirit to go to China. But my parents being Pharisees and Sadducees. They're trying to keep me from the work of the ministry. But I said, but I respect my parents, and I'm kind of worried that they may be right, but I really feel this in my spirit. I think it's the Holy Spirit. You know, I think it's the Holy Spirit. Dr. Nella, he said, well, okay, being wise as he was, he knew not just to say, you? He instead said, yeah, okay, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't normally communicate two different things to two different people about the same thing. He said, normally the Spirit will communicate one message to many people. And so he said, so, one of you is wrong. <laughs> and I said to myself, Thank you, Doc. So then I had kind of put it away because I felt like if anyone is wrong between my parents and I, it's probably me. And so then I had kind of given it away, but I was still thinking about it, you know, half and half, you know, I was still there. And my father, he had, my father and my mother, they had happened to come up to Harding. And when they came up to Harding, uh, we were checking in to the Heritage Inn, which is the hotel that's there on campus. And we happened to be talking, and the idea was still there. I, I was kind of losing zeal for it, but it was still there enough. And, uh, and we were there at the checkout desk, and there was this lovely young girl. She must have been probably 26 or 27 years old. She was there, and she was checking us in. Whenever she was checking us in, we were talking to her, chatting away, and she said, well, I've been back for a couple of months. I was doing the China Now program. And I said, do, 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 do. <laughs> the China Now program. She said, yes. I said, oh my goodness, tell me all about it. My father's standing right here next to me, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. She said, well, it was so good. And I was like, it was? She was like, yeah, I was teaching English. I was like, you were? And then she was like, yeah, but I had to leave. I was like, well, what happened? She said, well, we were in a village. I said, wait a minute. A village? She said, yeah, we were in a village. I was like, what? Well, I thought y'all were at universities. She said, well, yeah, well, this university was in a village. And I said, hmm. She said, yeah, and so then some things happened with some of the religious leaders, and um, we got kicked out. It was this whole big old mess. And I was like, kicked out? Said, yeah, we got kicked out. So I've been back for a couple months. She said, it was really difficult. You know, it wasn't what I expected. And I was like, Kicked out. 
She then, she then continued to explain it. She said, yeah, I mean, and it got violent, and some, some of the townspeople came with a machete after some of the Christians, and I said, machete? And uh, my daddy was looking like, hmm. And so then that day, I heard the Holy Spirit call me to St. Louis. I said, I said oh, the Lord, is, the Lord is calling me to St. Louis. He wants me to go in. I learned through that experience that though we're so individual, the Holy Spirit can work not just through an individual, but through the whole group so as to lead us to a place where he would have us. Join me here in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. The Bible says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Do you see how the Holy Spirit makes people speak? The Holy Spirit in that situation, it spoke through my father. The Holy Spirit in that situation, it had spoke through uh, Dr. Ken Miller. The Holy Spirit had even spoken through some random young lady at the checkout counter at the Heritage Inn. The Holy Spirit actually makes us talk. Here, as we open up Acts chapter 2, we find ourselves on the day of Pentecost, which was a yearly festival where people from all over the world would come here once a year to Jerusalem to be a part of this festival. Here, the disciples, freshly sent out by Jesus after he has ascended to heaven, they are now facing the crowd. They're in a room, and then this room turns to a crowd, a multitude, the Bible says. And from heaven comes, the Bible says, this rushing sound like wind, and then it falls onto the people, and then they begin to speak. The Bible says, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and then they began to speak. That is what the Holy Spirit causes us to do. Say something. The Holy Spirit, it makes us speak. It says they were filled with it. To so great an extent, they started to speak. It's like whenever we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it ekes out of us. It starts to burst through the seams. The Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they spoke. Key concept number one, the Holy Spirit causes us to speak. You can't always speak. It's not to say that the Holy Spirit does not also cause us to be silent. But when we're talking about becoming stronger disciples, when we're talking about becoming a witness, when we turn here and see what the disciples did in Acts chapter 2, we find that the Holy Spirit causes people to say something. It causes people to speak up. There is a word from God whenever the Holy Spirit comes into us. And when I was just this very immature 18-year-old, the first time living away from home, thinking that I was actually listening to the Holy Spirit, it wasn't. It was me. 
And the Holy Spirit had to speak through my father, through Dr. Neller, through this random young lady, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. So then, with this first key concept in our walk, in our discipleship, we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is speaking. So then, if the Holy Spirit is speaking, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit when it speaks through others, and we ourselves, we should seek to have the Holy Spirit when we speak. We ought to have the Holy Spirit when we speak and then listen to it when it's speaking through other people. This is the trouble we get into. Do we remember in our lives, each of us, do we remember how often we got into trouble when we were speaking without the Holy Spirit? All kind of trouble happens when you speak without the Holy Spirit. I don't get this thing. I speak my mind. People say, oh, I, I'm going to tell them, I speak my mind. Huge problem. Huge problem. Huge problem. Some people hang their hat on the idea that I always say it, I always speak my mind. Huge problem. You're not always supposed to speak your mind. When we speak, we ought to speak with the Holy Spirit. We ought to give instruction with the Holy Spirit. We ought to give exhortation through the Holy Spirit. And do you remember the trouble we got into in our life? Whenever we, in our marriage... When raising our children, when choosing which job to take, when picking and choosing friends, when spending our money, that we were supposed to hear a word from the Holy Spirit through someone else, and they tried to give us the word, but we ignored them. We married the wrong somebody, we raised and are raising our children the wrong way, we took the wrong job, and we got the wrong friends. A whole lot of trouble happens. When we don't listen to the Holy Spirit moving through someone else, key concept number one that can help us as we walk to become better disciples, the Holy Spirit makes us speak. There is quite a separation between heaven and earth. We know that the sky separates it, but there also seems to be some type of thick and supernatural tarp but what would it be like if we, in some way, could reach there at the corner and tug at the thing? What if we could, in some way, reach above it and peel back the sky and tear away the tarp? What would that look like if the will of God that so permeates heaven could fall down on us? What if we could in some way take buckets and tubs and run underneath the sky and collect the thing? What if we could drink his will? What if we could bathe in it? What if we could pour it on to ourselves, pour it on to others, pour it on to our family members, on to our co-workers? What if that could be the case? If we could in some way peel back the sky and tear away the tarp? What if the will of God that is never challenged in heaven, the will of God that is always, always to a T obeyed in heaven, what if that happened here on earth? What if you and I in some supernatural way could reach up peel away the sky and then tear that tarp. I do quite a bit of traveling with, uh, with speaking and so forth. And so I was leaving Memphis and traveling and I had to stop through Arkansas as Memphis and Arkansas are very close right there, sitting at the confluence where those three states meet the uh, Mississippi River. And so I stopped in Marion, Arkansas, about 25 minutes from where I live to get some gas at the Sitco. And as I'm here pumping away, I'm pumping, 
And as I'm pumping, I look over and I see another man also pumping. We make eye contact, and I say, hello. He says, hello. We're very different, he and I. I'm black. He's white. I'm driving my car, and he's driving a truck that could fit my car. He's clearly a blue-collar worker, and I'm more of a white-collar worker until VBS, and then I become blue-collar. <laughs> and so he's different. He's probably in his mid-60s. I am 30. He's pumping, I'm pumping. We make a couple eye contacts. We're noticing something that's happening behind us when we're pumping away. And you know, there's an energy that you get whenever someone wants to say something to you. You can just feel it. I'm pumping away, and he's pumping too. He may have been a farmer, as Marion has a lot of farmers, which means he's probably making way more money than me, because farmers make way more money, like actual real farmers, make way more money than the rest of us chump. He's pumping, I'm pumping. We're very different. As I'm pumping, he takes a step closer, and he says something about the weather, and I mentioned something about the weather too, like there's a blizzard in Minnesota, something like that. <laughs> We're pumping, I'm pumping. He steps closer, and then he looks at me and he asks me a question. And I was sort of prepared for this because you can tell you have a sense when someone is about to ask you a question. He says, what is wrong with our country? Oh, I don't know uh, how to answer that. Now y'all know I'm, I'm sitting over here black, and he white, I'm young, he old. I'm white collar, he blue collar. It had been right after some really controversial things on the news, MSNBC, Fox. <laughs> he comes to me and he actually says, what is wrong with our country? You know, he's calling me brother. Brother, what? Tell me. And I say, uh, well, something. <laughs> You know, you know, you try to keep it general. I, I, I don't know exactly where, where this is going to go, right? I say, uh, something, <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> you know, I got to really pump this gas. Like, uh, he says, yeah, you're right, you're right. He says a little something, and, and I say, well, I tell people all the time, the best thing we can do is to pray for our country. And when I said that, he said, that's what I'm talking about, brother. <laughs> he steps across that little median that separated us. He comes close and he gives me a fist bump. And I say, yeah, bump that fist. Yeah. I mean, we really connected here. He's a stranger. And we connected. I, I could see it in his eyes. I said, yeah, that's pretty much our only hope, to pray and ask God to help us. He 
Like you ain't, he said, that's it, that's it, that's it. And so then I finished pumping and he finished pumping. I got into my car and I said, it's great talking to you, sir. And I drove on home. Now listen, I don't know what he was. I'm not sure if he was a Christian. He should seem to love the Lord. I don't know what his political affiliation was. I don't know what his story is. I don't know him at all, really. He's a stranger. It's interesting that I also don't know what he'd pray for. I don't know if he would pray that things go one direction and maybe I would pray for another direction. But what I find so interesting is if he prays to a sovereign God something that's opposite maybe, you know, to what I would pray, when we put our desires in the hands of a sovereign God, the result may well be the same. And so then I learned that at that gas station pumping that the sick call that to invite the Holy Spirit into a situation mysteriously brings together opposing viewpoints. It brings together completely different people in ways that are truly unexplainable. Join me here in Acts chapter 2, picking up now at verse number 5. The Bible says this. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of the Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So that day, me and that man, I'm not exactly sure what we had in common. I'm not exactly sure if that man had the Holy Spirit or not, but I am sure that I do. The Bible says this in the same chapter that when we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if he had it, but I sure know I do. And so whenever he asked me that question, the only thing I could do was to invite the Holy Spirit into the situation. And that caused us to want to pray. It caused us to say, okay, well, what can we do? This is something interesting that we see in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit has a strange way of doing things that the Holy Spirit can take people from separate countries, completely different, separate language, and in some mysterious way, make them all understand the same message. Key concept number two, the Holy Spirit unifies. And it's a mystery how it happens. Here I am talking to this guy. I have no idea what his, uh, his uh, religious affiliation is. I have no idea what his political affiliation is. I don't know his job. The only thing I see is that we're very, very different in some key ways. In age, in race, I'm urban. He's probably country, like a more, more rural. And so then I'm looking at all of these differences. But somehow, when we invite the Holy Spirit into the situation, through the differences, 
we find this common ground. And it's mysterious that you have here on the day of Pentecost all these different nations from all over the world. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, it speaks to each of them, and each of them hear the same message while staying the same. The Cretans did not become Egyptians, nor did the Egyptians become Romans. They were still Romans, still Egyptians, but because of the Holy Spirit, they heard the same message, and they were unified. Key concept number two, the Holy Spirit unifies. That's what it does. It unifies. And so when we look at the current battles we have on the political landscape, the current battles we have in race relations in our country, all this legal confusion. We're looking at a whole bunch of things that's separating a whole lot of people. And that's what the devil does. The devil, he divides a house in order to, to kill it, in order to break it down. He splits it up. What's interesting, though, is that if we say, let me pull back from my political affiliation, let me pull back from my own race a little, let me pull back. I can still be black, I can still be white, I can still be Asian, I can still be Hispanic, I'll always be that. That's a blessing. I don't understand this business about being colorblind. Oh, I don't get that. As if it's offensive to see color. We do each other no favors by being blind to color. Color's too beautiful. Blonde hair is too beautiful. Black hair is too beautiful. Black skin, the blackest of black, is too beautiful. White skin, the snow white of white, is too beautiful to be blind to it. How much beauty do we miss by not seeing the eyes of the Asian, the lips of the black? the blonde, the brunette of the white. So we don't want to be blind to race. No, no, what we want to do is celebrate all that. We're, we can stay black and stay white and stay female, but we are bigger than those things because of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that when the Holy Spirit steps down, it unifies us in some strange, unexplainable way. The only thing they can say is, we don't get it. We from all these different places and we don't get it. The Holy Spirit is speaking and we can hear our message in our own language, each of us at the same time. That's what the Spirit does. And wherever there is division, the Spirit ain't there. Because you know if the Spirit was there, there would be unity. You can still be black. You should be white, you should be a man, you should be a woman. The Lord made all that beautiful. But he says, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is in a mysterious way. If we bring it into the situation, things change, things are no longer the same. We are unified by that because that trumps and is bigger than us being from Crete or us being from Rome or us being from Arabia. It's, just, it's bigger, it's stronger than that. Key concept number two. The Holy Spirit unifies. There really is some deep separation between heaven and earth. I mean, it's not just the sky. There also seems to be some type of thick supernatural tarp separating it. But I wonder what would it be like if we could in some way reach there in the corner of the thing and tug at it, pull with all of our might. What if we could reach above it and peel back the sky? What if we could tear away the tarp? What would that look like? How, you know, how would that be? If the will of God that so permeates heaven, if it could drip and pour down onto earth, could we maybe take buckets and tubs and run underneath the thing, collecting it so as to drink of it, to bathe in it, to pour it onto our family and our friends? 
What if we could in some way reach up there, peel back the sky, and then tear away the tarp, that will that's never challenged in heaven, that will that is obeyed to a T in heaven? What if that will in the same way could come down on earth and be treated the same way here among us? What would that look like? If by some hypothetical and supernatural thing, if we could in fact reach up, peel back the sky, and tear away the tarp. There's an ongoing battle between the conservatives and the progressives in church. And some of us don't go nowhere, so we think it's only in Church of Christ. <laughs> so my daddy was a Baptist until the day he died, and not just anyone. My, fa my father's father, the Reverend Arbery Lee Simpson, he planted the Evangelist Temple Baptist Church. But my father was the deacon over finance at the right hand of the, of the reverend who replaced my granddaddy. They got the same conversations over there, just using different things. Progressive, conservative. The conservatives versus the progressives. In our faith, we see a lot of it, you know. And that's just a part of life. We're family. I don't know any family that's going to not have disagreements. Some family you are. Through disagreement, we find love, acceptance. We find the fight that makes us stronger and closer. That's family. So, I mean, that's a part of it and shouldn't be shot away from, but embraced. Especially when we talk about uh, what I call the suit wearers versus the happy clappies. <laughs> the suit wearers versus the happy clappies. Oh, man. I travel many places and I have come to many churches, some of them so, 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 so conservative, and some of them so, 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 so progressive. And I find that the one thing they share is ridicule. I just don't get those people, those ones over there. I just don't understand how they don't get the scriptures. This is what we should be doing in church. Well, no, they, uh, they've left the gospel. They've left it. They got their bags, picked them up, and said, bye, gospel. <laughs> I've heard very ugly things, as if they're not even Christian speaking. And so I look at here, and I, I think about the, the suit wearers versus the happy clappies, the suit wearers those who wear ties and suits to church, and whenever they go up to pray, they say things like, let us pray. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, who sits high and looks low. You know, those types of prayers, those types of, of, of suits, and you know, they walk down the middle aisle doing the collection like soldiers. In comparison to some of the happy clappies, they kind of pray like, Dad. <laughs> they took that one scripture in Romans about Abba, Father, Dad. They get to singing and they up on their feet. They raising hands. And getting into the service. 
And they just, oh, they, just the fights, the ridicule. And I've had these conversations, and I, 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 I tell one group, I said, now, wait a minute. Now, you tell me what's wrong with wearing a suit and tie to church. Well, it's not about that, right? It's not about a suit and tie. It's about the gospel. And then I said, now, wait a minute now. Can I tell you about Panama, Central America? I say, you know, when I went to Panama, Central America, we went to a community in the mountains called Santa Marta. It did not have electricity. And women and men would come three hours trek by foot every Sunday from the mountain to go to the top to worship there at the church, which was literally just a cinder block building with windows as openings. And I noticed that while we were there, during the week, the children, the men, the women, they would have on a certain type of clothing, just tattered t-shirts, no shirt, they're just about. But then I noticed something strange that you have to look real close to see. I noticed that on Sunday, the same children came in rags, but they were different somehow. I had to adjust my vision. They came in rags, but they were tucked in their pants. They came with not just a shirt, but something over the shirt, the women. And I looked and looked and I said, it's a feeling I have here that was so familiar to me, having grown up in the black church my whole life. And I said, wait a minute. I think they're dressed up. I said, it's I said you know what? They're dressed up. I've been here with these people for days. These children are not running barefoot, but, they, but they're wearing their rain boots their jeans tucked inside and their shirt tucked inside their pants. I said, they're dressed up. I learned this way back in the day. You, you have to know, and I'm, and I, and I'm going over because that's how I do. So, so, so stay with me. I'm going to try to land this thing. Rich people with jobs, you know how they pay homage to God? By giving money. Give money. So you can have a staff of six ministers, the pulpit minister, the youth minister, the children's minister, the chair minister, the building minister, you see, the TV minister. This, now, this is American church, see. And ain't nothing wrong with that. I, I work on a team of three ministers. Nothing wrong with that, but, but stay with me. That's why rich folks get buildings named after them. Well, this is the Cronkite facility. What does that mean? It means that Cronkite gave a billion dollars, and so now we name it after him. Not so with poor people. Poor people, they don't have the ability to just drop a million dollars for a building. So then they pay homage in different ways. They pay homage by wearing a tie because they can't afford that. And so how can a progressive have the nerve to say that churches that have kept that tradition through the centuries are in some way unholy. We are all unholy now. We know that they are unholy, but not because they wear a tie. How unspiritual and sinful is that and judgmental? And I'm looking at the progressives and I'm like, I thought y'all were the ones who weren't judgmental. And here they go, judging. 
I said, that man may be rich, but old, old, old white folks who grew up poor, that's how they pay homage to God. That's just how they do it. Black folk, that, that's not background. We, we, we don't come to church like that. Ain't to say it's wrong to not to. I think they go wrong when they say it is wrong, but I'm saying you got to see where they're coming from. Happy clappy, these conservatives. I say to the conservatives, wait a minute. Do you know Brenda? Brenda was the one in church. Woo! And people are like, somebody go get her. <laughs> She's hollering again. Brenda with all that hollering. I came to know her when I first started the ministry in St. Louis. She was always hollering. Just I had been there for some years until I learned that whenever her husband died, having had a surgery, they released him from the hospital, he fell dead. Coming home from the hospital at the door, one step in, in South House, he fell dead. She was to be put out the house. She was to lose everything. But somehow, Brenda survived. Her husband, who was the only one working, fell dead unexpectedly. And years have passed and she survived. She still has that same house. And she tells her story all the time. What, what, what about the others in the church who were the screamers who had beat cancer, who had had children who had stayed in the world for decades and now had come back? And so when that song come on, You can't keep them still. It's just like a, you try to put their hands on them, they're like, you can't keep them still. And I think, now wait a minute, now you're going to tell me that that person can't move. I say, how many times have you beat cancer? What kind of concern? I said, no, this concern, y'all are sinful. This, 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 this is from a demonic influence. You going to tell me that lady? can't sit there and do what she needs to do to tell God, thank you for saving me, for not letting the cancer take my life. You can't strike up a deal and say, just go right here. Just go in the back. Sit at the back. Because, <laughs> you know, Brenda sit right here. She sit right here at the front. Okay, well, if that's going to make people stump, do it right back there. Just go in the back. Do you. I said, that's a sin. We have to not just look at what the person's doing, but we have to look at the meaning behind it. The last two verses here in this passage, Acts 2 and 12 and following, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Y'all, it's not about what people are doing only. It's about the meaning. Look here, verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed. They were confused, but they said to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're drunk. Yeah, see, this is what happens. When we look for meaning, we are informed. 
I'm not siding and saying this group is wrong or that group is wrong. I'm not here to say which group is wrong. I'm saying if we are to decide who is wrong or who is right, you're going to have to ask questions that have to do with meaning and not just the way it appears, i.e., Jesus raising folks on the Sabbath. That was in direct conflict with the law, but Jesus says, you've missed the meaning. There's a meaning for what, why this is happening. Okay? Then he goes on and he says, no, not one iota from the law. He says, you think I've come to turn the law away? He says, no, no, no. He says, the law, the rules. He says, I will follow each one to the nth degree. He speaks to the Pharisees. He says, okay, this is what you've done. He said, you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Then he comes and he says, so, not only should you have done what? These, but also those. Progressives. They say, well, there are some things that matter more than others. Of course, we get that. Jesus said that. He said, you've neglected the weightier provisions. There are some things that are more weightier than others. But then he comes right around and he says to them, he says, but wait a minute. You should have not done those. He says, no, you do those and these. You do them both. Okay, concept number three. The Holy Spirit divides. The Holy Spirit divides. You're in a room with people and we're having a conversation about something. The Holy Spirit will divide those who are righteous and unrighteous. The wheat from the shaft. Because what the Spirit is going to do is say, a group of y'all are asking, I'm perplexed and confused. What does this what mean? Verse 12 in Acts 2. We were confused and perplexed. Some people said, what does this mean? While others did what? Mocked. You can always know the Holy Spirit is going to tell you in a room who's spiritual and who's not. Who's from the devil and who's not. Who is possessed by a demon and who's not. Because when, when we have this church battle and these people are going through all these things trying to do right before the Lord, even if they're wrong, the people who have the greatest insight spiritually are going to be the ones who say, what does it mean for them to want to study this? What does it mean for them to do this? What does it mean? Because if we can understand the meaning, then we can be closer to ascertaining if it is right, if it is wrong, if it is pleasing to God, or if it is not. If it is, in fact, acceptable or not acceptable. But those who walking around saying, you know, that's them over there, honey. I just don't get these young folks. I don't understand. See, back in my day, they're all going to hell. <laughs> you laugh and you joke about somebody's salvation. I know who is real and not because the Spirit is going to tell us. The ones who take it solemnly and say, what is this? I'm, I'm confused, but what's the meaning? Those are the spiritual ones. But the ones who mocking, joking, <laughs> look like they drunk to me. <laughs> and Peter say, it's 9 a.m. All the real drunks are asleep from last night. You can't say that somebody's drunk now. The ones who are really drunk, they, they still sleep. Key concept number three, the Holy Spirit divides. We've talked about three things that can really, really help us become disciples. Key concept number one, the Spirit causes us to speak. Key concept number two, the Spirit, it unifies us. And then finally, key concept number three, it divides us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when teaching them to pray, beginning at verse 9, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On what? Earth as it is where? Whenever Jesus ends the ministry, he began with those words. He says in 28, he says, All authority in where? Heaven and on what? 
earth has been given unto me. So it's no wonder that here in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 2, Paul says, Luke says rather, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from where? Heaven. A sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. The only thing Jesus has wanted us to do as his disciples is to bring about the will of God on earth. So the will of God that is never challenged in heaven could never be challenged here. So that the will of God that so permeates the heavens could so permeate earth. And he said, that's what I came to do so that there'd be no separation. So that the earth and the heaven could be one again, like in Eden. So that that heaven could come down on earth and God's will have no separation where poor people are loved where the Holy Spirit is magnified in our bodies and in our minds and our mouths and our pocketbooks. He says, that's what I wanted. That is what it means to be a disciple. And if we can remember what the Holy Spirit does, how it makes us speak, that's how we can bring heaven to earth. How it unifies us as his people. That's how we bring heaven to earth. How it even divides the wheat from the chaff. That's how we bring heaven to earth. We know that there's some real thick division between heaven and earth. We know it's the sky. But it also seems to be some type of thick supernatural tarp separating the two. But I wonder what would it be like if we could in some way reach up there at the corner and pull and tug on the thing. What if we could reach over it to the sky where it is and Peel it back and then tear away the top. What if that could happen where the will of God that so permeates heaven, what if it could in some way fall down to earth and we could take buckets and tubs and run underneath it and collect the thing? What if we could drink his will? What if we could bathe his, inside of his will? What if we could pour it on everybody we know? What if we could in some way peel back the sky and then tear away that tarp? So the will of God that's in heaven could be on earth like it is there so that people could have what they really need and we could make God proud and, and, and smile on us as disciples. What if by some hypothetical or supernatural thing, we could reach up, peel away the sky, and then tear 